Good evening. That's slightly better. The groans, there is life out there. Thank you to Amy for, for praying. Thank you for Lucy for opening um, God's word. Um, Andrew Murkoff has a confession. He didn't have any money for the offering uh, this evening. So once the offering bo- uh, plate went past, uh, he picked up 20p that was already in it and then dropped it in again. Um, so if you want to, you can confess that later, um, Andrew. So uh, just to throw that in you. Uh, We're going through uh, Ecclesiastes. Uh, Scott started us off a couple of weeks ago in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 1. Ecclesiastes is a a book of the Bible uh, in the Old Testament. We're going to delve a lot lot into what it has to say in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 2, as Lucy has read for us. We are all in, in one big adventure. We are all in one quest in life. Uh, I'm in it, you're in it, and that quest, that adventure, is to find meaning in life. We long to know why in the world we are here. At one point in your life, maybe you've done it already, if you haven't done it, you're going to ask yourself this at one point in your life. What is the point in all of this? What is the point in this thing that we call life? We're, We're born... Many years ago, we do this thing called life. We go to school. We well, about to fall off. Uh, get a job. We we may have families, and and then we die. Hundred years from this time, no one's going to remember who you are. They're not going to remember who I am, and that's it. What is the point in all of this? In, in finding a meaning to our lives, me, me and you, we, we will go hunting in, in all sorts of places. We'll look in every crook and cranny throughout this world. We'll, we'll try to find it in, in education, in, in our relationships with family, maybe boyfriend, girlfriend, in our ability, the skills that we have, maybe in how successful, popular that we are. We will look for the, in those places to find meaning. We crave for it. But why do we search for meaning? Well, simply the answer is because we need it. We need something to live for. And you are living for something. I am living for something. If not, life becomes futile. It becomes pointless. It becomes quite literally worthless, a waste of time. And, and this is the question we all ask. And it's what our world is crying out for. It longs for the answer to, the, to these big, grand questions of life. There's, there's books, there's songs, there's, there's movies, there's, my goodness, memes about, about this, about finding meaning in life. One of my favorite movies is The Bucket List. Has anybody watched The Bucket List before? Hands up. Come on, bound to be. well. thank you. Few folk, okay. I don't care what Rotten Tomato says and gives it like 30%. I think it's brilliant. It's a great movie. Um, it's a really, really good uh, film. You should watch it sometimes. And it stars these two men, very, very, very famous men. Jack Nicholson, who plays a character called Edward, and then Morgan Freeman plays a character called Carter. And the whole, whole film is based around these two men, and it follows them right throughout um, the, a journey that they embark on. Uh, Jack Nicholson's character, Edward, he is, he is stinking filthy rich. He owns hospitals. Yes, in America, people can own hospitals. Um, not here in the United Kingdom, thankfully. Uh, but he, he owns hospitals. And then we have just an average Joe, and that's Morgan Freeman's character called Carter. He's just a car 
mechanic. But at the exact same point in their lives, they are both diagnosed with a terminal illness. And they're brought into the same, in the same hospital room and they meet each other. And as they face the, 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 their impending death, they decide to do well, what the film suggests, the title suggests. They create a bucket list. And if you don't know what a bucket list is, a bucket list is just a, th- a, a creation of, of lists of things we would like to do uh, before we die. So usually people who create bucket lists, they have grand, uh, wonderful things on it. And they create the most incredible bucket list. And one by one, they complete it. So they, just to name a few, they go skydiving. They, they travel the whole world. They, they even get matching tattoos as well. And they do all sorts of, sorts of things. And they have such a great time. It's, it's a comedy film. It's brilliant. But time soon presses on. And they both become a little bit more ill. Carter first. They become disillusioned with, with all the thrills and eventually realize that they've been really acting like spoiled kids running away from reality. They realize that they need to be spending their final days with, with their loved ones. And that's what they do. They eventually come back to their families. They have one last leg of life and they, they spend it on all of their heart's desires. And really, Edward and Carter epitomize a large part of our own lives and how we think. As, as human beings, we try to find our meaning in our quest for pleasure. Those things that make us happy. We'll go and do whatever makes us content till we feel satisfied. And that is really, in a nutshell, what Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verses 1 to 11 is all about. Before we move over, let's get a bit of background sorted, a bit of a reminder um, before we we delve into what this passage says in detail. Ecclesiastes is probably written by a guy called Solomon. He calls himself the teacher, preacher, depends on your translation. And who's, who's Solomon? Solomon is the, the king of Israel at this point. He's the, the son of the great King David. You maybe have heard of David in the Bible. Well, he's his son. And, and Solomon is quite unique is that he is the wisest of all men to have ever lived. Basically, God gives him a blank check into saying, well, what do you want? And he asks for wisdom and God gives him wisdom. So he, he writes, uh, we, we think Ecclesiastes, but he definitely writes the majority of Proverbs and then Song of Solomon um, as, alongside Ecclesiastes. But what, what is this book all about? In essence, it's what we've sort of already delved into a little bit is that what it answers these big questions in life. What is the, the point in life? Why, why bother with life? And I said this, and Scott made this crystal clear two weeks ago. Ecclesiastes is a real, it's a raw and relevant book because of how honest it is. There's no sugarcoating with Ecclesiastes. There's no beating around the bush with it. This is a book for anyone here who wants real and honest truth about life and meaning. So what's the story so far? Maybe two weeks ago, uh, two weeks is a long time. Uh, Scott's three main point, points from last uh, two weeks ago were life is short, life is elusive, and life is repetitive. Not what we really want to hear, but that's the truth of it. There's nothing overly glamorous about life. It goes in cycles, and then it ends. And really, all that's in between is quite rep- repetitive. 
Then Solomon, from towards the end of chapter 1, Solomon then goes on to say towards, um, uh, towards the end of the chapter that he, he had devoted his time to search for wisdom. So he takes all this, the, the mundaneness of life, and he decides, well, I'm going to search for wisdom and knowledge and, and observing all that goes on across the world. And he comes to the conclusion in cha- at the end of chapter 1 that all that goes on in life is meaningless. It's vanity. It's pointless it's as this phrase comes up time and time again it's like chasing the wind and as chapter one it deals with the search and quest for wisdom and it's really it's ultimate folly it's brokenness Solomon now turns his attention to pleasure and what we have in these 11 verses is Solomon's quest for meaning and pleasure will will pleasure fully satisfy the wisest man to have lived and provide him meaning in life and just like the previous chapter, in chapter 1, before he begins this, this incredible uh, test, this examination that he's about to carry out, he, gives us, he actually gives us the answer before he starts. And he says in verse 1, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. But what does he actually mean once he talks about pleasure? Maybe different things might come up in your mind once you think of that. Well, what, what really that word means is it means a, a joy arising from a particular way of behavior. Quite often it can refer to the joy of, of worshiping God and giving him praise. But we know from what we've already listened to and heard read and from the rest of chapter 2 is that's got nothing to do with what Heath is thinking about once it comes pleasure it's more concentrated on a joy that arises from our senses and from acquiring a lot of stuff really so the test commences and he starts off in verses two to three with two fairly common examples verse two it says this it says laughter i said is madness and what does pleasure accomplish so he starts off in the comedy club. Solomon, he isn't saying, we can't misread this, that he isn't saying that laughter is bad and you have to have, uh, to be a Christian, you have to be an utter joy kill or that having a good old laugh is, is pure and utter sin. But that we, we should remember the context all, always once we go through this, that he's trying to find meaning in life and he's trying to find it through pleasure. So he starts off with having a bit of a laugh. And yes, Ultimately, I'm, we all love a good joke now and again, and we get pleasure from, from having a laugh, messing about, cracking jokes with one another. It's good in the moment, but really that's all it is. It's something for a moment. And Solomon exposes its limits. Think of it, think of it like this. What will have a more lasting impact on your life? Will it be watching a, a comedy or would it be watching a, a drama or a thriller? What, what movie genre has the greater potential to change you or to have more, a more profound effect on your life? Is, is Anchorman, Dumb and Dumber, The Hangover, or Dunkirk, The Pursuit of Happiness, maybe the darkest hour, which one of those is going to have more of an impact on you? Well, the answer is obvious. It's going to be the latter. It's, it, it is quite simply impossible to just laugh our way through life. Because the honest truth is, and this is it, that life is just generally made up of mundane, run-of-the-mill moments. We get up, 
we brush our teeth, we go to our jobs, our work, we get fed up with that, we come home, we put TV on, we watch, we, we eat, we go to bed, and then we do it all over again. And then the odd time we might go on holidays, and then we'll come back, and we'll do the same thing over and over again. But also, more profoundly, life is full of deeply sad moments. It's not, we just can't go through life with blinkers on. It's impossible to try and have a laugh all the time. In fact, you probably get really annoyed. You probably have that one person in your mind who always makes a joke about everything, even once it's the complete inappropriate time. They always have something funny or sarcastic to say, and it probably fries your head off. And if you don't know who that person is, it's probably you. The next example that he gives is, and everyone's so excited for this, is alcohol. Verse 3 says this, and this is what Solomon tried next. He, he, I tried cheering myself up with wine and embracing folly. So basically, Solomon now says, sure, let's give drinking a bit of a go. Now, I have to say this. This isn't a, a prohibition that Solomon's making uh, against alcohol, that this sort of like, thou shalt not drink the devil's juice, as some Christians may say, and they do say it in that voice as well. Well, that's what I think anyway. Um, that, that is not in the mind of, of Solomon here. But what is, what is being say, said here is that really his experience I tried alcohol to cheer me up. And that was a dead-end street. But the thing is, and for us now in 2019, especially in Portadown, there's always the temptation. Sure, have a pint. Go and have a glass of wine. Do you know what? Get dressed up. Go out with the girls and guys. Paint the town red. Doesn't matter if you're underage, overage, or you wait till your 18th birthday or whatever. But the honest truth is, and I, I say this graciously, as appealing as, as our world promotes alcohol and, and the lifestyle of going out, it's really a hopeless adventure. Do you know what? The Snapchats of your mates, do you know what? they may look great. Maybe you've done them, maybe you have done it yourself. But really those people, and maybe that is you tonight, you're just craving for attention and love and satisfaction in just all the wrong places. Hear the advice of Solomon. He, he tried cheering himself with wine, having a drink, and it just brought him nothing, no joy, no satisfaction. Solomon starts off with a bit of a weekend adventure, having a laugh, going for a drink, nothing really overly serious with it, but with his wisdom still by his side, Solomon's decision is to embark on a quest to see truly what this world has to offer. And his, his rationale is, is contained in verse, in verse three. The, the days on earth are few, so let's see what's good. Let's, what does earth have to offer? So from verses 4 to 8, we, we have Solomon, what he tried to do during the week. The, the 9 to 5, the many things that consumed his, his time and energy in this incredible quest to attain pleasure. And boy, he, he quite literally tried everything. Just, just let this wash over you um, as we just run through all that's contained within verses 
48. Verse 4, he, he built houses, he planted vineyards. Verse 5, he, he made gardens and parks. Note there in the plural. He planted all kinds of fruit trees. Verse 6, he, he made reservoir for these fruit trees so that they could flourish. Verse 7, he, he bought slaves. Now, what he means by that is people who would work for him and that would work in his house and his land. And that he says that he had more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem. Economically, he was number one. And verse 8, which is in a sense the climax, he says that he had massed silver and gold for himself. He acquired the treasures of, of many kings and provinces. He, he even had his own choir assembled. He had a harem, which is basically a mistress, which is someone who, who lived with a man, usually for the purposes of, of having sex, but wasn't their wife. He, he just had everything. And verse 4, it says that this was all for himself. And in summary, Solomon was, was trying to create his own paradise, his own sort of Disneyland. And here we have is the Bible's version of really The Sims. <laughs> Whoever remembers The Sims, I think The Sims is still going anyway. Or Minecraft, but The Sims works better because it probably is better. Um, and the New Living Translation concludes verse 8 like this. This is what Solomon had to say. I had everything a man could desire. He had it all. He had everything that was under the sun. As we arrive at, at the final few verses, we get, we get Solomon's conclusion. It's kind of a, a summary statement of his experience. Yes, we've got the result beforehand, but he, he elaborates a little bit more from verses 9 to 11. Solomon tells us that he lived better and he celebrated life than anyone else in the whole world. In wealth, power, and toys. He was the greatest in, in all Jerusalem. And once we think of Jerusalem, we, we could sort of contemporize that. And we could think of New York or London or Abu Dhabi, some rich, powerful places. No one surpassed him or even came close to touching his influence. Note that within all this, his wisdom never left him, never went to the wayside. And then Solomon re re reveals the result of his journey for pleasure. Verse 10 says this, I denied, my, myself nothing, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Whatever he wanted, all that he laid his eyes on, he got. Like, like the kid who goes into the sweet shop who's got an unlimited bank account, a gracious mum and dad. He gets what he wants. Yet with, with all of this, everything that could be contained and gathered under the sun, it, it still isn't enough. Verse 11, it says, Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Still isn't enough. As he surveyed, he, he didn't just take a, a quick glance at all that he had, but as he looked at everything, or as, as one other translation puts it, as he considered that he really thought this through, that he molded over, as he looked at all the things that he had, and which was everything a man could want, his house 
gardens, workers, mistresses, his wealth, power, influence, it was all meaningless. And what a summary of his work and effort. He says it was like chasing the wind. It's like an impossible task. It's, it's never fulfilling, never satisfying. You'll never, ever achieve it. And the shocking closure to, to this section is that after all of this, nothing, it's not that some things were gained, nothing was gained under the sun. Basically, he may as well have not done it. And that is, and that that this world has to offer was ultimately worthless to Solomon. Solomon had, had come to realize that everything under the sun that, that could offer some form of, of pleasure, as great as it may be, was, was temporary. It was for the moment, and that was it. But more significantly, that all of these things, as great as they may be, offered only momentary satisfaction. That they were not designed to bring him and to bring us here in the 21st century everlasting fulfillment. So that was Solomon's test. That was his quest, his grand adventure. And what does this mean for us today? What does this have to teach us here at CE tonight? Well, immediately it confronts us with this question. Let me ask this of you. What are you trying to satisfy your heart with? What are you trying to satisfy your heart with? What places, what things, what people are you banking your hope in? Are you going to find your, your, your ultimate satisfaction, your, your, your meaning in life in momentary instances of pleasure? A bit of pleasure here and then it's gone. And then you're off chasing the next fix. It's like we live, if only I had, and then fill in the blank, then I would be content. And there are millions in this world that are living off this dream. And I'll say that there's probably quite a lot of us in this room that are doing this. And ultimately, it's not a dream, but it's a nightmare that keeps on going on and on. Our, our world, we're not hearing this in, in, in different parts throughout our world, but our world would want to say to us, sure, go ahead. We hear this language of, of follow your heart, live your life for you, make yourself number one, go on, be happy. And if someone says that to you, you have my authority to slap them across the face. But you know what? Please do it. If, that, if that's your mantra in life, I go on ahead, be my guest. Like Solomon, Go on, create your own paradise in this life. But I'll say this, if, if you do, you will, and I guarantee you, you will live a horribly dissatisfying and discontent life. Whether you realize it tonight, and it just finally the penny drops, or if it's next week, or whenever you're 80 years old and not that long left in life, that it will finally realize that all this stuff is worthless. There's an American pastor, his name's John Piper. I'm going to assume that many of you have heard of him. And he, he's a very famous pastor. And he tells a story from his childhood of following his dad. His dad was also a pastor. Uh, he was an evangelist. He would go to different places in America and um, preach and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And he writes in a book of one um, profound moment in his childhood uh, of an event that his father would recall once he is preaching. I just want to read um, this excerpt from his book. This is what John Piper has to say. For me as a boy, one of the most gripping illustrations my fiery father used was a story of a man converted in old age. The church had prayed for this man for decades. He was hard and resistant. But this time, for some reason, he showed up when my father was preaching. At the end of the service, during a hymn, to everyone's amazement, he came and took my father's hand. He sat down together on the front pew of the church as the people were dismissed. God opened his heart to the gospel of Christ and he was saved from his sins and given eternal life. But that did not stop him from sobbing and saying as the tears ran down his his wrinkled face, I've wasted it. I've wasted it. John Piper then goes and says, and what an impact it made on me to hear my father saying this story through his own tears. And he concludes with this. He says, this was the story that gripped me more than all the stories of young people who died in car wrecks before they were converted. The story of an old man weeping that he had wasted his life. In those early years, God awakened in me a fear and a passion not to waste my life. The thought of coming to my old age and saying through tears, I've wasted it. I've wasted it. Was a fearful and horrible thought to me. And with all sincerity of heart, I pray that that for all of us, that we won't have to wait till our final years like this man till we understand and get to grips with us, that we would not waste our lives on chasing stuff and things and status and everything else under the sun, which will leave you empty and unfulfilled. But why? Why does everything under the sun still not satisfy you? Why do good grades perfect body, more money, a loving boyfriend, girlfriend, good health, not bring you and me ultimate satisfaction. I wonder have you ever thought about this before? Of course you have. I guarantee we have all thought or or considered this. Because even when you get those good grades, get all you want for your birthday, you go on that amazing holiday, the buzz wears off in an instance. Your heart and your heart starts to look for something else to hope for. All good things, just like what Solomon experienced, but none of it was ever created or designed to own the worship of your heart. Instead, the worship of, of my heart, the worship of your heart and this whole world can only be reserved for the creator. Not anything that is created The longing of of your heart is to find true and lasting satisfaction. 
And the only source to find it, and just hear me clearly, is this, is that it is only found in, in God, our Creator. Jesus shares these incredibly life-altering words. It's actually my favorite passage, a few verses in the Bible. Matthew chapter 6, in verse 19. He says this in the Sermon on the Mount. He's preaching and he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And what God offers and what Jesus is teaching in this passage is that to live a true, satisfying life is to have your perspective in order. That we're not focused on the milliseconds of pleasure that we have on earth, here one moment, gone the next, but that we lift our heads up and realize that we are eternal beings and we set our goal on that which is going to last forever. So that's why we praise God, because of all the good things that he gives us, but ultimately for who he is. He is holy and he is love. That in this world, which is just utterly a mess, that, we would send a, that he would send a savior to rescue us out of this mess. And if you haven't listened to anything I've said, that's all right, because this is the most important thing I'm going to say all night. Jesus is the only one who can bring you satisfaction and meaning to your life. God's son, Jesus Christ, is the only person, when we have a relationship with him, is the only one who can bring you satisfaction and meaning ultimately in life. And how can, how can I say such a bold and such a challenging thing like that we just have to look at who jesus was jesus lived a perfect life he never sinned and that means jesus is never going to let you down just like maybe a family member a friend maybe your boyfriend girlfriend may let you down jesus won't and he promises through his spirit that he won't leave you he guarantees you, once you have faith, once you place your faith and repentance in him, that he will be by your side forever. And he loves you. And he demonstrated that love by dying for you. And that love is more than what any of us could even fathom or understand here on earth. Jesus deserves our lives. He deserves our worship it's interesting that from chapter 1, verse 14 in Ecclesiastes to chapter 2, 23, God's actually never mentioned. But as chapter 2 concludes in verses 24 to 26, Solomon mentions God three times in those three verses. And he says that, that God is the giver of all good things. He's the one that gives encouragement, wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. God is the gift. The example of Solomon is this. He tried it all. He sought pleasure in everything and it left him empty and tired. 
And if we don't heed his, his humble advice, then it's going to do the exact same thing to you. But with its meaningless set before us, it really is just one big arrow pointing us, pointing all of us to the only source of real and lasting pleasure. And that is a loving and an eternal God who is, who is calling us back to himself tonight. Let's pray. Father, we, we come before you and we want to humbly confess that so often our hearts are consumed and fixated on what this world has to offer, all the things under the sun, all the momentary pleasures that we think are going to satisfy us, but we know will never. God, thank you that you have given yourself to us so that we could know ultimate satisfaction. We could have fulfillment in part whilst we are here on earth, but ultimately one day once we will be with you in glory. God, thank you for that grace. Thank you that you didn't leave us in our toil and in our despair, but that you came with a rescue plan to save us, to give us a meaning and a purpose in life so we could glorify you because you are worthy of our lives. God, we praise you and we thank you for who you are. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you all just want to stand.